Richie Brockelman, Private Eye, won't be seen tonight, so he can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Child's Play. Oh, baby. So, yeah, we watched uh, Child's Play. It's been a while since I've seen it. Same. And, again, it's like... I think I glommed a few movies together yeah, yeah, because it seemed different. And the thing that I took away from it was that little boy was a very good actor. He was. He was He was really good. He was done. He did it really well. Uh, I <laughs> Brad Dourif is so fantastic. They showed way more of him before he got into the doll than I realized. Yeah. Uh, As, I was going to say Jackie Earl Haley, no. but nope. That's the, <laughs> that's the actor that played... Uh, the Freddy Krueger in the yeah. remake. Yeah. Uh, no, Charles Lee Riley? No, that's not nope. it either. <laughs> Charles Nelson Riley? It wasn't him. Uh, Charles Lee Ray was right. the name of his character. The uh, conglomeration of three different killers. Yeah, that's correct. That is correct. All right. Well, take yourself back to 1988. Yeah. All the way back there. April 18th, the second annual Kids' Choice Awards airs on Nickelodeon, hosted by Tony Danza. Tony Danza. Hey. You want to know who the boss is? It's Mona. <laughs> Debbie Gibson, Brian Robbins, and Dan Schneider. Who's Brian Robbins? Uh, he was also in Head of the Class. He's actually the president of Nickelodeon now. Oh. Yeah. He was the skinny guy in Head oh, of the Class. Oh, yeah. skinny guy with glasses, the nerd. Um, no, 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 no. He was the skinny dude who was like the, um, he was trying to be like John Travolta. Like he was, uh. Oy. Yeah, like he was. I think so. I, I don't, and the I don't, other one is from uh, One Crazy Summer, right? Yes. Or, or no, uh, not one Better crazy, Off Dead. Better Off Dead. Uh, who did a bunch of shows for Nickelodeon as well, but not anymore. Yeah, that's it's another <laughs> horror movie. Uh, Alf wins favorite TV show at hey. the second annual Kids Choice Awards. Yeah, I won. I like to eat cats. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Melbeck. You know what Alf stands for? Um, alien life form. Yep. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? Yeah, yes. <laughs> I eat cats. <laughs> you already said that, Elf. You already said that. Oh, you know, nobody's talked to Elf in a while. Yeah, no, they haven't. Uh, June 10th, Arthur Bishop is executed in Utah for the murder of five young boys after joining the Big Brother program in Salt Lake City in 1979. Uh, yeah, he didn't. He wasn't a very good Big Brother. No, he was surprised. Not. He didn't. You know, they only used two names for Arthur Bishop. They didn't use the the normal three name <laughs> serial killer routine. Ar- Arthur James Bishop. Yeah. Or... Well, let's not say James. I don't. That might be his name. Could I be, don't know. But it's mine. <laughs> that is correct. September 29th, the Illinois Supreme Court upholds John Wayne Gacy's conviction, setting a new execution date of January 11th, 1989. He appeals to the U.S. Supreme Court, which upholds the conviction and is finally executed on May 10th, 1994. His final words are Kiss my ass. A really good John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, I've seen a few of his. He's so he's such a nerd. He's just yeah. such a gross, grosso. Like I watch yeah. that. Yeah. Anytime it's like, ooh, oh, it's the tapes. It's the we're gonna actually yeah. talk oh, to yeah. the serial yeah, killer, yeah. and it's like, uh, it's like talking to a, the, the most boring, <laughs> like narcissistic fool, just a yeah. big old pudge. Yeah, you know, I didn't do it. Those kids just wanted to be buried in my. <laughs> he begged me to do it. They asked me. They said, hey. They just were like, hey, put the handcuffs on me and then do your business. <laughs> on November 9th, Child's Play is released in theaters. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Child's Play starts with Don Mancini and his realization while in college that while the evil doll trope had been done before, such as in Trilogy of Terror in 1975. Oh, that was... Uh, Two of those are garbage, but the one with the little the doll and so Karen good. Black yeah. is so scary. My sister and I still talk about that. Nice, nice. There's also another one with all these little. It's this. This I can't remember the name of it. I'm gonna have to ask my sister, uh, who I just saw recently. It was nice. really nice. Um, but there was this movie about all these little tiny people, and they're like, oh, you're and they whisper, and they'd be like, "Oh, gonna get her. We're gonna get her. We're gonna get her." Oh, weird. Gonna get her. Was this in Trilogy of Terror? No, this was a different a movie. I think. Thing. And uh, and they like, they all got together and like, tripped this lady down the stairs and murdered oh. her and and, wow. then, and they had this weird way and and my sister would like, launch herself, from the doorway to her bed so she wouldn't 
<laughs> the little tiny encounter people the little wouldn't... people that were getting, and and <laughs> nice. my stepdad mom would always be like, "Oh, she's gonna get her, gonna get," her, and just oh, freak her out. No. It was so mean. That is mean. Mean. Is mean. But I can't. I wish I could remember. I'm gonna have to ask her maybe for the stepdad show. I'll figure it. Yeah, out. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. Uh, there was also the Talkie Tina episode of The Twilight Zone in 1963. Great. You remember Talkie Tina? She was creepy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and not to mention magic. Yeah. Okay. With uh, the talking dummy and Anthony Hopkins. Oh, that's right. I forgot mm. about that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah. Although, I, yeah, yeah. Um, even though these had been done before, it had never been done in a modern setting with modern animatronics, uh, which is what Mancini was all excited about. Of having a walking, talking doll that murdered people. <laughs> well, dare to dream, baby. <laughs> Mancini watched the Cabbage Patch doll craze and how parents would physically fight over getting the dolls. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen grown people be more upset and angry about a doll. Hey, it was... one. Christmas time was crazy back then because everybody yeah, had... That was yeah. the beginning of... The must-have toy. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, that just kind of started around the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the, the toy companies were, weren't idiots. They <laughs> they made it <laughs> scarce, so it becomes more, you know, they oh, manufacture oh, this entire oh. thing. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like, you know, there was a supply we chain issue no, no. at the Cabbage Patch. No. They weren't growing as many. They they definitely created that demand. They knew what they were doing. In fact, Mancini's father had worked in the advertising industry all his life, and he knew how effective marketing could result in consumer bedlam. Uh, based on this, Mancini wanted to write a dark satire about how marketing affected children. Sounds cool. Yeah, sounds like a good script. Mancini had actually had a script produced before Child's Play called Cellar Dweller. Nice. Which is, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. He's credited as Kit Dubois, which I don't know why he used it. I it, cannot find any information. Because he called it Cellar Dweller. <laughs> and it's, he should be ashamed of himself. Yes. Uh, it stars Yvonne DiCarlo of The Munsters. Nice. Yeah. Deborah Farentino of the soap opera Capital. She was in a lot of stuff. She was in a lot of stuff. She yeah. was also in that uh, wrestling movie with Matthew Modine. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. She was like the older lady that he fell in love with. Oh, nice. Vision Quest. That was <laughs> the name right, of that. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Vision Quest, yeah. Brian Robbins, head of the class, was in Cellar Dweller, who uh, was part of the Second Annual Kids' Choice Awards. All right. A lot of and head hosted, of the class uh, stuff yeah, going on today. Uh, and Jeffrey Combs of Reanimator. Oh, nice. What a great creep. Yeah, he's he's so good. Uh, it's actually about uh, Jeffrey Combs being a comic book artist who gains inspiration from a mystical book of horrific drawings and inadvertently summons an evil spirit into his basement studio. He always does crap like that. He was does. he, like, really impatient and angry throughout the entire thing? I, I'm pretty sure he was only in the opening, and that was it. And they may have made the end. They brought him back, but I don't think he was in it very much. Uh, years later, an art student finds the book and releases the evil into the world. Mm. Uh, if you haven't seen Studio 666, the uh, Foo Fighters movie, yeah. it's literally literally the plot oh. of, of that. <laughs> that's the plot <laughs> they find tapes that, that they had used to summon the devil and blah blah, blah. it's a great movie by the way yeah no I, when it streams i'll be yeah putting my peepers on it and uh, shout out to marty marty Matulis. oh yeah our buddy plays, plays the bad guy in it yeah he's really good in it it's really fun uh so cellar driller was released in the uk in february of 1988 and in the u.s of september that same year so it actually came out uh shortly before child's play did oh yeah Cellar Dweller was directed by John Carl Buechler, a special effects makeup artist that mostly worked with Charles Band's Empire Pictures. Buechler. <laughs> Buechler. He did uh, SF- uh, SFX and directed a bunch of movies like The Dungeon Master in 1984. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen The Dungeon Master. I don't know if I have either. <laughs> Troll in 1986. Oh, boy. Uh, and Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood in 1988. Yeah. Uh, uh- Arguably the best of the Friday the 13th sequels. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Mancini's troubled relationship with his own father and his experiences of alienation as a gay man caused him to center the child's play script around a child with a single mother and no father figure. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, Mancini's original script was titled Batteries Not Included, but changed when it was discovered that a very different movie with the same name was being made. Yeah, with Donamichi. Donamichi. Yeah, Donamichi. Look at these little alien robots. And Forrest gonna... Whitaker, I believe, is in that. Yeah, these little yeah. baby robots. They're going to save the day. Yeah. But you know what? Batteries Not Included. 
<laughs> it was produced by Steven Spielberg. It was. Uh, they retitled uh, Batteries Not Included, the horror movie, Blood Buddy, and during production they changed Gross. it to Child's Play. Blood Buddy sounds like a horrible way, like like a high school counselor is referring to somebody's menstrual cycle. Uh, well, here comes your blood, buddy. Oh, God. <laughs> oh man. Yes. In now, the I'll 80s, never, I'm saying. Never look at blood, buddy. No, I can totally see that. I can see that. I, they're trying to be good. They're trying to be nice. And like, <laughs> did you get your blood, buddy? They just That's what's know. going on here. <laughs> God, please stop. Well, the reason it was called Blood Buddy was because the original script featured a doll filled with fake blood that would allow it to bleed if played with roughly, and it would have come alive after Andy mixed his own blood with the dolls. That is the most convoluted. (laughs) (laughs) What parent in their right mind would buy a Blood Buddy? Just get blood everywhere on the couch. and uh, Yeah, please, please, let's have a doll that bleeds. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, the doll would have represented Andy's suppressed rage and would have targeted his enemies. Uh, it would have been a whodunit story which dealt with the effect of advertising uh, and television on children. It sounds interesting. I will give it that. It does sound really it interesting. Agreed. Uh, it was written to toy with the audience a bit longer, making it ambiguous whether Andy or Chucky was the actual killer. To toy with yeah, the audience. Yes, yes. You're welcome. They did actually change the uh, – obviously during production they changed it to Child's Play, so it wasn't called Bl- Blood Buddy anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, good. Uh, but they also retitled it again to avoid confusion with Sidney Lumet's 1972 horror movie Child's Play, which I've never seen. Neither have uh, I. I saw a poster for it. It looks really interesting. But, it's about uh, these kids who <laughs> put on a production of Brigadoon. Br- Brigadoon! Mm-hmm. And it's this child's play that they put on that is so bad that all of the adults just commit suicide. Wow. Wow. That's a new new territory for Sidney Lumet. Yeah. And the twist is... Or L- Lumet? I always Sydney say Lumet. Sidney Lumet. Lumet. Okay. The twist is it was the kid's intention all along. To get the parents to kill themselves? Yep. That actually sounds like it would be like a Japanese horror movie. And the kid said... Welcome to Brigadoon, a child's play. All right, so check out Sidney Lumet's 1972 <laughs> horror film Child's Play. It's pretty good. Uh, Charles Band actually expressed interest in filming the script as Mancini had worked with him on Cellar Dweller. Uh, Charles Band would actually later produce the Puppet Master franchise. So he really wanted to get involved in some killer yeah, dolls. Yeah, guy's got some issues. <laughs> um, the, the, the Puppet Master series is so awful. It's so good. I loved the first movie. Oh, is that the one that has? Um... He's got the the screw head, and then yeah. there's, a, there's a dude that looks like he's he's wearing like the tiny hat and the glasses, the sunglasses. Right, right. But is that the one with Paul Lamat? You know, the older guy, yeah, the older blonde possibly, guy. Yeah, and he picks up the doll by the like the toes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, my sister and I used to do that all the time. That's another <laughs> one of our. I think my sister and I watched a lot of doll movies together. <laughs> we both were horrified by wow. by dolls and little things. <laughs> The script was accepted by United Artists after the studio president and the MGM UA communications chairman realized that it could begin a long-running series. They wanted to franchise it. Uh, after UHA, I'm sorry, after UA purchased the script, it was rewritten by John Lafia to make the character of Andy more sympathetic. And after producer David Kirshner expressed doubt that parents would buy their children a doll with fake blood. <laughs> well, smart guy right there. <laughs> Making David Kirshner the smartest man on the production. Hey. Hey, can I just point something out real quick? As a father, I've got three kids. There's no way in hell I'm going to buy a doll that squirts blood all over my house, okay? <laughs> Who would do that? You guys obviously don't have kids. Obviously, Don Mancini did not have kids, yes. Uh, John Lafia had previously only had one movie that he wrote and directed before Child's Play, The Blue Iguana, which came out in April of 1988. I remember that little indie Yeah, movie. it was with Dylan McDermott and Jessica Harper, Dean Stockwell, and Flea in one of his early roles. Yeah, Flea was in a lot of stuff. He was. I, I, I He keeps popping up in random stuff I've been watching. And Dylan McDermott McDubit. Oh. I just rewatched <laughs> I just rewatched the remake of Psycho, and he he's in that. Flea is in that. It's Flea weird. just showed up on sets, and they were like, are you in this movie? And he's like, sure. <laughs> Why, yes, All I right. am. Uh, Roger Ebert gave the Blue Iguana a negative review and described it as... A smart Alec Perry, private eye movie, but it knows as little about private eyes as it does about the parodies and movies. I'd like a cheeseburger. Yeah. 
<laughs> David Kirshner had previously created an animated TV show called Rose Petal Place in 1984 and had come up with the story and produced An American Tale in 1986. Nice. That's, Do you remember American Tale? That's the uh, Fievel, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fievel, the little... And that's all we can do before we get sued. <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, I'm sure the American Tale folks are, are, are scrubbing all the podcasts. American Tale was the first time that I realized – I was about eight, and it was the first time I realized what product placement was or, like, movie tie-ins because the McDonald's tie-in they had <laughs> was – they spent, like, a billion dollars on this. I mean, it was so insane, the amount of – of advertising for this movie. But McDonald's wasn't in the movie. No, no, no. Was... Sorry, I didn't mean product placement. I meant, like, the fr- tie-ins. Oh, yeah. Stuff, like, yeah. Uh, they had the Happy Meals and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was just an insane... It was the first time I connected the two, and I was like, oh, I see. Like, well, Five-O was a sweet little immigrant. I, I, I didn't... I liked the movie. I mean, it's fine. I always get it mixed up with the secrets of Nim. Oh, no, that's rats. Little tiny yeah, rats. Yeah, a little more no, violent. Fievel wore a jaunty hat. Yeah, and he sang a lot about <laughs> being somewhere out there. Wasn't he separated? Then, yeah, then they he were, went west. They were coming to America through the... Uh, coming to America. <laughs> Ellis Island. You yes. Know? And, then, and then he gets separated from his parents and... Yes, and then in the sequel, he went west. Yeah, Fievel goes west. Uh, David Kirshner most recently came up with the story for Hocus Pocus 2. Okay. <laughs> I, I watched this recently. So How was I, it? It was fine. I mean, actually, Phoebe will kill me, but I think I liked it more than the first movie. As uh, Well, Phoebe's a super fan. She, How did she like the sequel? It was fine. It didn't have the same magic for her that the first one did. But, How could it? But again, I think it goes back to the... She saw this when she was young. Uh, my writing partner, Kyle, is the same way. Like She, she was like... I, the movie was fine, but it doesn't capture that same magic that the original did. So. Oh, hocus pocus magic. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's worth a watch. It's fun. I, I don't know. All right, a glowing review for Ho- <laughs> Hocus Pocus from Adam. Uh, in Lafayette's rewritten script, Charles Lee Ray's soul would have been transferred to the doll after being executed by electric chair as it, as it was being manufactured on an assembly line. That's the exact same thing as Shocker, though. Yeah, right? Shocker. They, I think they borrowed that for Shocker. Yeah. Shocker. With, uh, oh, God, I can't think of his name. He played Shocker. Pelleggi. Mitch Pelleggi. Pelleggi. Mitch Pelleggi. Yeah, Mitch Pelleggi yeah. from the X-Files. And from 3 O'Clock High. Yeah. Yeah. I love Mitch Pelleggi. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he's great. I uh, like saying his name, Mitch Pelleggi. <laughs> the script featured the doll factory where Chucky was produced as a location, which we recycled for the second film. So they, they actually did end up using it in Chucky, not Chucky 2, Child's Play 2. Well, good. I'm um, glad. Yeah. He was responsible for coining the name Chucky and contributing trademark doll dialogue such as, Hi, I'm Chucky. Want to play? No. <laughs> I said I'm Chucky. Want to play? <laughs> A slew of people were approached to direct the film. Uh, they asked William Friedkin, nice. director of The French Connection and The Exorcist, Irvin Kirshner, director of The Empire Strikes Back, and the Hell to Pay episode of Amazing Stories. That's a good one. It is. Robert Wise, director of West Side Story, The Haunting, The Sound of Music, and The Andromeda Strain. That would have been interesting. I Same. Uh, Joseph Rubin, director of Dreamscape and The Stepfather. Uh, <laughs> I like the original Stepfather. I, it's, it, it's good. It's Dreamscape fun. was a... Interesting mess. It was a bit of a a miss, yeah. Uh, Howard Franklin, writer of Romancing the Stone, The Name of the Rose, and Someone to Watch Over Me. He would later write and co-direct Quick Change. Nice, I love Quick Change. Bill Murray, yeah. Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jankel, directing partners who created the original Max Headroom British short and the Americanized adaptation. And they would later go on to direct one of the scariest movies ever made, the 1993 video game adaptation Super Mario Brothers. I like that Super Mario Brothers. (laughs) I'm a Mario brother. And it's kind of in honor of the fact that there's a new new one coming out. I'm a King Koopa. Yeah. Yeah, I love... I lo- okay. <laughs> I just kind of have to say... So we'll speed bump this. Watch the, 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 the teaser trailer for yeah. Mario. Looks great. Sure. Looks really pretty. Looks Mario-y. Yeah. And uh, Jack Black on the nose. Oh, yeah. He'll be great. He's going to be great Bowser. He's, uh, what's Chris Pratt doing? He's it's just like, hey... Hey, look, I'm going to go down. He's doing my Jersey accent. I think he listens to the show, and he's aping my (laughs) crappy Jersey character. Oh, good Lord. Everybody is losing their minds. Losing their minds. Over, under, they redub his voice. before They they do like a Sonic the Hedgehog. Remember with the teeth? They won't redo his voice. They might. I mean, he may redub his own voice. He might do something else, but they're not going to. Yeah. They won't. It's Chris Pratt. 
Tom Holland was hired on uh, Steven Spielberg's recommendation from his work on Amazing Stories. Uh, Ooh, terrifying Tom Holland. Savage not... Steve Holland's brother. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Holland started as a screenwriter with films like The Beast Within in 1982, starring Ronnie Cox. Class of 1984 and 1982, starring Roddy McDowell and a very young Michael J. Fox. <laughs> Class of 82. Class 84. <laughs> oh, sorry there. Class 84. I'm really uh, young. Psycho 2 in 1983, which is a much better movie than yeah. people give it credit You've for. You've been crowing about it oh, since man. you watched it. I, Robert Lovia. It's such a good movie. I, anyway, uh, Cloak and Dagger in 1984 starring Henry Thomas and Dabney Coleman. That's a fun one. Which is one of my absolute favorites. Uh, there's so many people that love that movie. It is. I love it too, but I, it's like such a weird little movie. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, Scream for Help in 1984, directed by Michael Winner. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I don't know that one either. Uh, Tom Holland would start directing his own work in 1985 with Fright Night, starring Chris Sarandon. Oh, such a good movie, and Roddy McDowell. I have not seen Fright Night in a long, long time. We got to do. We're definitely doing I've, that I've, one. I've seen it. I saw your eyes get big. I've definitely seen it, but I, like, I, I don't boy. remember much of it. Fright Night Two was okay too. wasn't great, but Fright Night was so good, and Roddy McDowell was so good, and it yeah. was just such a cool, cool little movie, and that yeah. did not need to be remade. No, it did not. Eh, pretty much none of these movies need to be remade, but no. we'll talk about that later. Oh, poor little Anton Yelchin. <laughs> Every time I think of the Fright Night remake, it oh, makes me think of him. It him. makes me sad. Being pinned behind a truck. Oh, God. Yeah. It's just awful. So awful. awful. Yeah, badness. Uh, Tom Holland tried his hand at directing someone else's work in 1987 with Fatal Beauty, starring Whoopi Goldberg and Sam Elliott. Do you remember Fatal Beauty? <laughs> I actually do. It was. I <laughs> think never she seen it. was a... Private detective. She's a private detective. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I probably I was a big fan of Whoopi, so I she pretty had, much watched anything. There she were did. great movies back then that I really liked of hers, and I'm surprised I've never seen this. Yeah, I mean, let's get straight. Like a lot of her movies were pretty bad. One of her and the dinosaur playing basketball that was pretty bad. Oh my god, I blocked that movie yeah, out. I, I think don't most of America that. did. <laughs> But, but she, she had some neat little movies. There was that movie with Ted Danson was really good that she was in. Yeah, the Jumpin' Jack Flash and mm-hmm. like there was some. She had some really fun movies. Yes, of I, course. I love Whoopi. She's great. She's an American treasure. She is. Uh, Holland would make his own rewrites uh, to the Child's Play script as well. Uh, so there were actually all three credited: uh, John Lafia, Tom Holland, and Don Mancini. Terrifying Tom right. Holland. Terrifying. Sorry, terrifying Tom Holland. Uh, so then they moved on to casting. They cast Catherine Hicks as Karen Barkley. Uh, Hicks started a career appearing in 210 episodes of Ryan's Hope, the soap opera on ABC between 1976 and 1978. Yeah. That's two years yeah. that she did 210, 210 ep- yeah. episodes of a soap. Yeah. It's, it's, it's steady work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She played the main character on the TV series adaptation of The Bad News Bears in 1979. Yeah, that was not good. I figured not. Uh, she played Marilyn Monroe in the TV movie Marilyn, The Untold Story in 1980. Don't. No, I didn't see it. I, I, I'm sure it's probably not great. I'm sure she's fantastic in it, but I, yeah. I'm not a big fan of Marilyn Monroe adaptations. Yeah, I mean. I tried watching the new one on, on Netflix and, whew, man. Really? Not good. <laughs> I've never had a big fascination for her. I think she's great. I love her in her movies, but the whole, like, you know, the the whole Marilyn mystique and whatever just kind of slipped by me. Yeah, same, same, same. She made her feature debut in 1982 with Death Valley, a slasher film, and Hicks had a part in the 1984 Bill Murray film The Razor's Edge, if you remember her in that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was the movie that, that he was so, so determined to make. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's most well-known now for playing the mother in the WB series Seventh Heaven, appearing in 239 episodes. <laughs> Just a few more episodes than she did in that soap in two years. And, yeah, and that uh, show ran for 11 years, I think. Yeah, and wasn't the guy a child molester? Yeah, yeah I think he's in jail now. The dad. Yikes. Yeah. yeah. Oof. Uh, I, the, uh, Seventh I, Hill. I worked at a WB TV station and was forced to watch a bunch of those episodes, so I did, was not a big fan of the show. Uh, Hicks would meet Kevin Yeager, who created the Chucky doll uh, on Child's Play during production, and were married within a year. Yeah, hey. They're still married today. I think they have, like, three kids. Did you make that Chucky doll? <laughs> yeah, I did. It's pretty sexy. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you say we get married in a year? Yeah. Mm, sounds good to me, baby. Just one year. In one year. Yeah. Uh, I really liked Catherine Hicks in this movie. She's fantastic in it. She's good. She is, like... She's game. I'll give her that. But there's yes. a lot of, yes. you know, there's a lot of like soap 
actress stuff coming out. Yeah, you know, yeah, she's a yeah. little overwrought and a little over. Well, and it's not. I don't think it, Tom Holland, terrifying Tom Holland, yeah. is the greatest actors director. Probably not. But she was having fun. I'll get. You know, she was having fun, yeah. and she she had a lot of weight to carry too. She did. She you did. know, it was pretty much just her and that kid. For yeah, most yeah, of the movie. yeah, and it's got, it, it's a comp. I mean, she, I, I thought she did it well, considering yeah, yeah. that there's the, just some moments the kid might be an insane murderer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's she's, a, she, you know, like there's there's some good stuff in there yeah, I, for being her... a, a horror movie. Like she did a good job. She yeah. did a good job. She did. Uh, speaking of Andy, the little murdering kid, uh, Alex Vincent would play him. At the age of five, his desire to be an actor was sparked when he saw his neighbor on television. Hey, that's my neighbor. I want to do that too. He went to her agent and landed parts in several TV commercials. Hey, you're my neighbor's agent, right? Look, I want you to get me out there. Why would you get me out there right now? I'm five. I'm this many. <laughs> For Child's Play, he competed against hundreds of other actors in New York City and L.A. and ultimately making it to their top three. He got the role after refusing to swear in front of his mother while reading some lines. After playing it off like he forgot the lines, he impressed the producers and landed the role. That's the most adorable thing I've ever heard. That is the most adorable audition thing I've ever heard. I can just picture him looking at the script and just being like, I can't say this. Uh. I can't say that. It's just like the wheels turning in his little mind. But he was so good. I mean, he was so the good. scenes of him being terrified yeah. made me want to, like, save his little yeah. butt. Yeah. He was just such a good little actor. He is. And, he, and so effective. It was it was really impressive what he did. He did, he did a very good job. Very and this is a horror job. movie, you know? Yeah. This isn't Mommy Dearest or whatever, no, you know? No. this is And he really nailed it. Yeah. After Child's Play, he appeared in the sequel and then made a cameo in the 2013 Curse of Chucky, and he played a main part in the 2017 Cult of Chucky, and he also now has a recurring part in the Chucky TV show. Oh, so excited. That's coming back. I love the first I haven't. I, needed, I need that. to watch it. I haven't seen it yet. It's my favorite Child's Play thing, I think. Oh, really? They did such a good job of integrating everything, and, did so, and the fact that Brad, or Steve, Durf. Brad Dorf, Dorf. Brad Dorf. I got to get Stephen Dorf, Brad Dorf, and Dorf the golfer all mixed up because <laughs> they're exactly the same. But his daughter plays him as the young. Oh, really? Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. And uh, <laughs> God, not Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> and she looks Bless just like him. And but yeah. like she plays him, the young him, and then there's an actress that plays the young Jennifer Tilly, and they use the real Jennifer Tilly and the real. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Dorff's Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif's name uh, voice, right, right. It's really good, and the kid he uh, he's all grown up. He's, he's good, just yeah. not as cute as he was. No, no, but he's still but a good, he's, he's a good actor. He's pretty good. He currently owns and pro- uh, produces stuff at a production studio in Clearwater, Florida. Oh. Um, yeah, after he, I don't think he did a lot of acting beyond the the Child's Play stuff. I don't think he did a ton of acting before coming back to when he was older. That's a shame because he was such a good little little actor. Yeah. Well, I you know, I mean, it's going to be one of those things. Like, maybe he was he just decided, eh, you know. Uh, anyway, I, who knows? It's all conjecture. Uh, Chris Sarandon was cast as Detective Mike Norris. Uh, Robert Forster and Tom Berenger were also considered for the role. Yeah, I could see that. I, I like Tom Berenger. I, I like Robert Forster, too. But Chris I, Sarandon is Susan Sarandon's brother. Yes. <laughs> just a, just yes. a tidbit. Probably you Sarandon fans. Sarandon made his acting debut on the soap opera Guiding Light in 1969. He appeared on the soap for four years and was in 4,000 episodes. I was going to say, he was in 14,000 episodes in four years. Uh, his feature film debut was in 1975 as Leon Shermer in Dog Day Afternoon, being nominated for an Oscar and a Golden Globe Award. Such a great, great performance. And we were talking about this during the yeah, during we were... our viewing of Child's Play the other night. Yeah. Um, that I, I think that that hurt his career yeah. even though he won an oscar yeah. and got acclaimed playing uh you know a, a trans woman yeah basically yeah. back in that time in 1975 yeah yeah it was a yeah. like career suicide yeah which is too bad because he's a fantastic actor i mean yeah actor. but he just kind of got relegated to you know kind of more of the b stuff yeah which is a shame you know he was so good in fright night 
Yeah. As yeah. the vampire. I mean, he's just very charismatic and such a good-looking guy. Yeah. Just he should have been a bigger star. He he had a lot of range too. Oh yeah. Because uh, he had just come off playing Prince Humperdinck in The Princess Bride in 1987. So good. And I swear, every time I forget it's Chris Sarandon. <laughs> like I'm always like, oh yeah, that's right. He was also in Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, he's such a good actor. Originally, the studio billed Chris Sarandon as a top star over Catherine Hicks, but Sarandon requested that Hicks be top billed since he felt she carried the picture. See? What a good dude. Good dude. He would later lend his voice to Jack Skellington in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Not the singing voice. No. Just the acting. Or the talking voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, but it's, I didn't realize it was him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, know. he did the talk, and uh, uh, Oingo Boingo did the sing. The singing. Yeah. Yeah. What's his um, name? He, one of the greatest composers ever. That's the Simpsons. Farnsworth keeps coming to Farnsworth mind. Farnsworth Givington. Right. That's the guy. Right. <laughs> he continues to act, appearing in tons of movies and TV shows, still being incredible. Uh, Dinah Manoff was cast as Maggie Peterson. She was the best friend, Catherine Hicks's best friend in the movie. Uh, Manoff started in TV, perhaps best known for playing Elaine Lefko- Lefkowitz on Soap in 1978. Yeah, that was a great show. It was also groundbreaking because it had one of the first like openly gay characters oh, played yeah. by Billy Crystal. Oh, yeah, yeah. She appeared in Greece as Marty that same year and in Ordinary People in 1980, being directed by Robert Redford. Uh, I remember her in Greece. Like, that was the thing mm-hmm. I know her from. In 1988, she starred in Empty Nest as one of Richard Mulligan's daughters, appearing in 170 episodes, as well as playing the part on two episodes of The Golden Girls and two episodes of Nurses. Richard Mulligan was also in Soap, and I think oh, yeah. might have played her dad... On and soap. On soap. Oh, that's cool. I, Richard Morgan's great. He's a good actor. Soap, you got, I mean, we're going to definitely we'll do, do a show on show, it, yeah. but it, you would love it. I, I'll have to just, check it out, yeah. There's a guy with a dummy. You like them for oh, Twiliquists. Oh, God, really? <laughs> yeah, but it's really funny. <laughs> uh, she has not had any credit appearance since 2008 with Bart Got a Room. So I don't know what Dinah Manoff is up to these days. Whatever she's doing, I hope she's doing it well and having yeah. a good time. She was really good in this movie. She's great. I, I, I've always been a fan. Yeah. Tommy Swerdlow was cast as Jack Santos. Tommy Swerdlow! Swerdlow made appearances in Real Genius in 1985, Howard the Duck in 1986, and Spaceballs in 1987. He would later write Cool Runnings in 1993 and Little Giants in 1994. Cool Runnings, man! Yeah! Jack Colvin was cast as Dr. Ardmore. Uh, the doctor who just did not believe Andy at all, and his answer was to shoot him full of drugs. Let's give him drugs. <laughs> He's delusional. He's a consummate theater man, continuously returning to the stage during his long career. He's made feature, feature film appearances in Scorpio in 1973, The Stone Killer in 1973, The Terminal Man in 1974, and Rooster Cogburn in 1975. Rooster Cogburn. He's made appearances on hundreds of TV shows like... Quincy M.E., Switch, The Rockford Files, The Six Million Dollar Man, Kojak, and The Bionic Woman. He was also Jack McGee, the oh. tabloid reporter in The Incredible Hulk. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. The, and, and, and Bill Bixby said that part. You don't want to make me angry, Mr. McGee. You wouldn't <laughs> like me when I'm angry. Oh, because he turns into a Hulk. He turns into the Hulk, yeah. Uh, while under contract to Universal Pictures for seven years, he appeared in over 100 hours of television programming. He got paid 18 bucks. Yeah, probably. In his later years, he would move to teaching at the Central Experimental Film School of Rome, the University of Southern California, Cal State Northridge, the American Cat- Academy of Dramatic Arts, the 1994 Michael Chekhov International Workshop in Sussex, the Center for Performance Research at the University of Birmingham in 1999, and the Michael Chekhov Association's New York University June Intensive in 2004. Impressive. Uh, he passed away from a stroke in 2005. Oh. Yeah. He was a great actor, though. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was great as, as he, Jack McGee. I hated him. Hated him. <laughs> hated him. Uh, Neil, I'm not even sure if I'm going to say this right. Neil Gintali? Sure. <laughs> Neil Gintali is Eddie Caputo. Gintoli. Gintoli made his feature fa- film debut in Child's Play. Eddie Caputo was the uh, uh, henchman. He can be heard saying, oh shit, twice. Otherwise, he has no lines of dialogue in the entire movie. Despite being Charles Lee Ray's henchman, Eddie Caputo does not share any scenes or any interact with Charles in the film. But for some reason, the internet is obsessed with Eddie Caputo. Really? I don't know why. It's probably the name. I, I, 
he apparently he makes an appearance in Curse of Chucky in 2013, but Neil Giantoli does not play him. Uh, Giantoli has appeared in a number of movies and TV shows like Waterworld and Seinfeld. Yeah, nice. I, I really don't understand why they're obsessed. The dude has so little screen time, and it's the internet, baby. It's they get weird. obsessed by weird things. <laughs> He's true. probably memeable. Yeah, probably, probably. Brad Dourif was cast as Charles Lee Ray and Chucky. Uh, John Lithgow, Gary Oldman, and Andrew Divoff, who would later play Mikhail on Lost, uh, were considered for the part. All would have been great. Yeah, agreed. I think they all would have been fantastic. <laughs> Gary Oldman would have been hilarious. I would have loved to see <laughs> Gary Oldman stuck in the Chucky franchise for all of his life. Oh, that would have been great. What did I do? <laughs> Chucky's full name, Charles Lee Ray, as Jim said earlier, was derived from the names of notorious criminals Charles Manson, Lee Harvey Oswald, and James Earl Ray. Uh, it originally, I... They claim notorious murderers, although Charles Manson never murdered anybody. I just want to get that out there. He did kind of push people to do it, though. But he... Okay. I'm not defending Charles Manson. People also say that... uh, Lee Harvey Oswald didn't kill anybody? Yeah, and James Earl Ray, too. Yeah, well, maybe. Okay, that's why they're criminal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I believe that they did, by the way. You know, I was just a quick uh, little side. I was at the Book Depository. Oh, yeah? And... uh, could totally make that shot. Of course, hundred percent. You could of make course. that shot. Not even a, a tough. The best. I could have made that shot. Anybody that argued he couldn't just watch Full Metal Jacket and the uh, drill sergeant talking about how he was trained as a marine. Of course, he made the shot. But it's like the way they make it sound. It's like this a totally was, impossible no, thing. No, it was no. not impossible at all. Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, Brad Dourif was nominated for an Oscar and won a Golden Globe and a BAFTA award for his film debut role as Billy Bibbit in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in 1975. Hey, Billy. Why don't you stop doing what you're doing? Let's go, let's go to a baseball game and away from Nurse Ratchet. I don't know. I'm afraid of Nurse Ratchet. I'm afraid of Nurse Ratchet. He had a stutter in the He did. He was great in it. He was amazing. He was amazing and so sad. He's the yeah. one that killed himself. Spoiler yeah. alert. Uh, He's the too one, late. <laughs> yeah, well, for a 60-year-old movie. But, yeah, he uh, he was so good in that. Yeah. He made appearances in Wise Blood in 1979, directed by John Huston. Ragtime in 1981, directed by Milos Forman. Dune in 1984. And Blue Velvet in 1986, both directed by David Lynch. And Mississippi Burning in 1988, directed by Alan Parker of Bugsy Malone. Bugsy Malone. (laughs) Despite their long-running collaborative effort to bring Chucky to life, Brad Dourif and special effects wizard Kevin Yeager, who created the Chucky doll, have never met in person until they were both guests at a horror convention in May of 2018. What? It's it's just weird. Uh, You'd think that they would have met like at a rap party or something. He didn't. Steve, he didn't go to rap parties. <laughs> you were gonna say Steve Dorf? I did. <laughs> well, I know Steve doesn't go. Uh, Dorf would play Chucky in all of the sequels in the currently running TV show. Initially, the voice of Chucky's doll was intended to be a simple ele- electronic overlay, similar to ordinary toys with sound chips. Yeah, like Teddy Ruxpin, which you always heard the servers. Yeah. That's pretty good. I'm going to kill you. Give me a hug. (laughs) When this was deemed infeasible, and when Dourif was initially unavailable to record Chucky's voice because of his involvement in Spontaneous Combustion, the 1990 sci-fi horror movie from Toby Hooper. Oh, I was going to say, did he (laughs) He literally Spontaneous Combustion? Man, I remember in the 70s, there was a period where everybody was deathly afraid to spontaneously combust. There was that picture of the guy with just the foot. As it was a lady, foot, a lady. lady. Well, and there was, was a bunch in the of people. Time Life book, and I remember that picture. Oh, yeah. and it scared it the was, crap out of me. Uh, yeah, it was on That's Incredible, and yeah. it was on uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. It was on everything. Everybody was just like, "We're all going to combust." We're we had such combust. quaint fears back then, such quaint little <laughs> silly fears. So, because of Brad Dourif's <laughs> role and involvement in spontaneous combustion, Holland cast Jessica Walter to voice Chucky on the basis that Mercedes McCambridge had voiced Pazuzu in The Exorcist. Okay. She actually recorded all the lines. Uh, yes. And, and they used her uh, in the uh, original cut. Yeah, but she kept saying, Buster, <laughs> at the end of every line. And they're like, what are you talking about? She's like, "You just wait. You'll know. You'll know. <laughs> just wait. Principal photography began on January 7th, 1988, and wrapped on March 5th, with a budget of 9 to $13 million. 
Mancini never entered the set and was minimally involved in the production because of the 1988 Writers Guild of America strike. Child's Play was filmed on location in Chicago. The Brewster Apartments, a Chicago landmark located at Diversity Parkway and Pine Grove Avenue, served as the location of the apartment where Andy and Karen lived and is pictured on the film's poster. So it wasn't a set. They actually filmed inside the apartment. Oh. Yeah. The inside was the inside, the inside of the apartment. Yeah, yeah. I always loved that building. I always thought it was really cool. Uh, the on-location filming was conducted in the winter with the wind chill reaching as low as 50 below, forcing the production to rent entire rooms and park running station wagons near shooting locations as warming centers. Uh, In-studio filming took place at Culver Studios in Culver City, California. The film used various ways to portray Chucky, including radio-controlled animatronics operated by up to nine puppeteers, extras of short stature, and child actors. actors. Kevin Yeager was in charge of the puppetry for the film. His company, Kevin Yeager Productions, has created effects for... A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, Face Off, Enemy of the State, Volcano, Starship Troopers, Conspiracy Theory, Radio Flyer, Mission Impossible 2, and Honey, I Blew Up the Kids, and Tales from the Crypt. Jaeger and... The, okay. <laughs> Jaeger actually directed Hellraiser Bloodline, but decided to be credited as Alan Smithy after Dimension, Dimension Films re-edited the film. Yeah, for those of you two people that don't know, Alan Smithy is the name that people who don't want their name to appear on a film use. Yeah. It's just a universal thing saying, this film blows, and I don't want people to know I did it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jaeger has worked with Weird Al Yankovic on a number of occasions. In 1988, Jaeger created a fat suit and appliance makeup for Yankovic's Fat video, which Yankovic later wore in his concerts while performing the song. A year later, Jaeger created prosthetics that gave Yankovic a hyper-muscular upper body when portray- parodying Rambo in his film UHF. Hey, oh, uh, hey. Look, uh, I like jokes. Well, I don't think that was funny, okay? Because it was making fun of me. I don't like it when people tease me, okay? Here's my feeling. Okay. He's <laughs> crying now. All right, all right. In Child's Play, Chucky transitions from appearing as a normal toy to appearing more human with his hairline receding throughout the film. Yeah, he starts looking like crap. It's really funny. The film created multiple Chucky animatronics, such as a flailing tantrum Chucky, a walking Chucky, and a stationary Chucky. There's a lot of Chuckies. A lot of Chuckies. The animatronic doll's face was controlled via remote control through a rig capturing facial movement on puppeteer Brock Winkless. Brock Winkless. Sounds like a reporter. Intrepid reporter Brock Winkless. Sounds like he missed his calling. On the scene. We now go to Brock Winkless. (laughs) He's down at the explosion. For some scenes, Holland used short-statured actors and children, such as Ed Gale and Alex Vincent's sister Ashley, with forced perspective sets. Hey, honey. You want to be in the movie? Yeah, am I gonna am I gonna be with my brother? Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be really fun. Put on this suffocating little doll costume and run around with a knife. I don't like this, mommy. Okay. Uh, the film initially received negative reviews after a two-hour rough cut was shown to audiences at a test screening. Kirshner and Mancini proceeded to cut 25 minutes of the film to reduce the amount of time Chucky was on screen, something Kirshner had advocated for during production to build suspense in a similar fashion to Jaws or Alien. Makes sense. Agreed. Again, David Kirshner is a very, very smart man. Holland, who had repeatedly clashed with Kirshner over Chucky's amount of time on screen and the film's tone during shooting, objected to the cuts and left the production. No! Terrifying Tom Holland left? Yeah. He didn't. He didn't like what they were doing. So, so he was like, "Hey, it's mine. I, or it's mine. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna take my ball and go home." Well, he left his ball and went home. Yeah. Or yes. Uh, the three have also suggested that the test screening flopped due to their use of Jessica Walter as the doll's voice. They claim that while Walter's voice was suitably menacing, she was unable to convey the humor intended for the character, and all of her lines were redubbed with Dourif's voice. That's hard to believe because she's so funny. Agreed. I. I don't know. It just seems odd. Part of me really wants to see this cut yeah. with, with her voice, just to yeah. see what it was like. The cut footage shown only in production stills in the film's script would have featured Charles Lee Ray stalking a drunk woman as a human only to discover it to be Mike Norris on an undercover sting operation. Hey, it's me, Mike Norris. <laughs> undercover sting operation. You busted. You busted, Ray. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Andy showing Chucky around his room and finding a photograph of his deceased father. So these are my Star Wars guys, and this is my stuffed animal, and here's a picture of my dead dad. 
He's dead. <laughs> John healing an infant through a voodoo ritual. Okay. That was the uh, the guy he learned all the voodoo right, from. Right, right. But it just seems odd. I was and, trying to show that he wasn't a bad guy. Right, right. And Chucky unsuccessfully trying to break into Andy's room at the mental hospital and tricking a mentally ill girl named Mona into carrying him into the ward. Hey, Mona! <laughs> hey, Looney Tunes! Come over here! You want to carry me in? <laughs> the script also featured an alternate ending in which Chucky is stabbed by Andy with a knife mounted on a radio-controlled car and has his face and legs melted with a squirt gun filled with a Drano in addition to being lit on fire and shot repeatedly by Mike and Karen. Okay. I guess that wasn't overkill at all. They did show the little remote-controlled car at one point because yeah, he, yeah. he takes it out. Right, right. Chucky would have been seemingly killed by being overpowered by Jack and several police officers. While storing Chucky's remains in an evidence room, another cop would have disbelieved Jack's assertion that the doll was alive, and after they left, Chucky's disembodied arm would have come to life to swat a fly. Which is such a great uh, little homage to Psycho, Psycho. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. he's the fly in the room. Uh, he's like, I would I never wouldn't harm a fly. fly. Yeah. But Chucky would. Yeah, Chucky would, definitely. It's funny because the actual ending is the only thing I have issues with in this movie is the actual ending is the weird still frame of Andy looking back. And, like, I, I for, was convinced that there was a, something like the doll coming back, and that's yeah. how they, you know, they projected the second movie. But it was just this weird long hold on him frozen staring at the doll. Yeah, that was a callback to The Omen oh, okay. with uh, okay. the shot of the uh, creepiest ending shot ever <laughs> of that creepy little omen child. Yeah, like, mm, yeah. Mm, mm, killed my daddy and everybody else. Ooh, I'm, I'm, oh, oh, and the son yeah. of the devil. Six, six, well, six. That's what, I mean, maybe that's what they were trying to imply. But it's, obviously Chucky was alive. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it was All just right. a weird ending. It was. The score was composed by Joseph Renzetti, which featured a collection of electronic and orchestral elements. Renzetti had previously scored the Buddy Holly story in 1978, which garnered him an Academy Award for Best Adaptation Score. Starring uh, our good friend. Gary Busey. Gary Busey. Yeah. Oh, sure. You forget that I was Buddy Holly once. (laughs) Skinny and (laughs) was crazy. (laughs) He scored Elvis in 1979, which I think was, wasn't it Kurt Russell? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Poltergeist 3 in 1988. Which was Kurt Russell and Gary Busey. Uh, Poltergeist 3 was one too many Poltergeist. That, That was the one that took place in the apartment building, right? Yeah, I think so. It was pretty bad. It was not good. He would go on to score Basket Case 2 in 1990. Basket Case. Have you ever seen Basket Case? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That first movie is incredible. Oh, so disturbing. It is disturbing. It, Basket, two, Basket Case 2 is okay. And it gets really... They, there's more of them that get really bad. Yeah. The first one, but though. But the first one is so creepy and Eek. so weird. Uh, he would also go on to score Frankenhooker in 1990. Uh, it's a shout-out to uh, our good friend Greg, who actually gave me that movie for Christmas a few years ago. Nice. Very, very nice present. He, he'll listen to this episode. So. Uh, MGMUA made a controversial decision to not release the film during Halloween, which would make sense, moving the release date closer to Veterans Day weekend. Yeah, we owe it to the veterans. I, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. There's a, this is not the, the last movie hey, we'll talk hi, about that was released in November. Hey, yes, Bob, Bob yeah. please explain. Um, we just, you know, thought that everybody was expecting it on Halloween. So we were like... F you, we're going to do it Veterans Day, because, you know, we just do what we want. <laughs> That's anyway. true. Well, I mean, it worked. The movie made money, so I... Yeah. But it just seems really dumb to not release a horror movie during yeah. Halloween. Are you saying us, we executives make dumb decisions, Adam? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Well, can't argue that. <laughs> well, thanks, Bob. My kids are in the car. i got to go. <laughs> okay. I hope you cracked a window. Oh, no. (laughs) The film was heavily promoted for three weeks before release through television spots, emphasizing audience reactions directed towards 12 to 20-year-olds and intended to position Chucky as the new terror icon. God, into the Q factories. Uh, The film would go on to score $44 million worldwide. Nice. That's Uh, on a... Nine like a to nine, thirteen, nine million? to thirteen. Yeah, it's yeah. a hit. Yeah, it made money for sure. I mean, there's a reason they made six sequels. <laughs> well, uh, Roger Ebert gave the film three out of four stars, calling it cheerfully energetic horror film. Yeah, he actually liked it. That's impressive. Variety called the film a near miss. 
What does that mean? I don't know. It was nominated for... Almost missed it, but they landed it at the end. (laughs) So that's like, oh, it almost didn't work, but then it did. Yeah. It was nominated for four Saturn Awards. Best Horror Film, Best Performance by a Younger Actor for Alex Vincent, Best Writing for Tom Holland. Terrifying Tom Holland. Sorry. Best Writing for... Terrifying Tom Holland. John Lafia and Don Mancini. And Best Actress for Catherine Hicks, who ended up winning. Nice. Yeah. Well, Hicks for the win. Well deserved. Well deserved. During the initial release, a large crowd of protesters formed at the main entrance of MGM calling for a ban on the film because they claimed it would incite violence in children. No more Chucky. Incite violence in children. Local news reporters from two TV stations were broadcasting live from the scene. The producer, David Kirshner, was watching the demonstration on TV and was disturbed. Jeffrey Hilton, who had been working in Kirshner's office at MGM, indicated that he could quell the disturbance in 10 minutes. Okay. (laughs) While Kirshner was watching from the safety of his office, Hilton spoke to the group's leader and shook his hand. The group instantly dispersed, much to the chagrin of the newscasters. No, what about our story? Yeah. Hilton did not reveal to Kirshner whether it had been a threat or simple diplomacy that saved the day. Excuse me. Can I uh, talk to you for a second? (laughs) Do you guys know anything about Jesus? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea. But, but, you know, it worked. Hilton probably was like, I'll give you $500 if you leave right now. I'm going to give you a shiny new Benjamin Franklin if you just leave. Done. Hilton's diplomacy notwithstanding, the film series was plagued with accusations of inciting violence in children. Yes, yes. This was during the Satanic Panic, yes. the same time where everybody was, whoa, 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 whoa what well, about the children? Child's Play 3 was cited as the inspiration for two murders which took place in the United Kingdom in December 1992 and February 1993, respectively. The murder of Suzanne Capper and the murder of James Bulger. In the Suzanne Capper case, the 16-year-old was forced to listen to recordings of the gang leader repeating the catchphrase, I'm Chucky, want to play? Okay. Yeah. Tom Holland, in response to both murders, defended the film, stating that viewers of horror movies could only be influenced by their content if they were... Unbalanced to begin with. And he's right. Terrifying Tom Holland for the win. But it's... I mean, did they dress up as dolls to do this? Or was it the voodoo? I mean... He was quoting a movie. I mean, it's not... Yeah. It's not like there was ever a scene where a bunch of people kidnapped a 16-year-old and was like... No, it's just... It's just lazy to... To blame that stuff on... It's yeah, lazy, Adam. The media, lazy. the media is very good at that. <laughs> well, it's like... I'm just going to go on a quick speed bump. Sure. And I want to quell anybody's fears right now. There's this ridiculous news story going around about rainbow fentanyl. Uh. Rainbow fentanyl. How it's like the Skittles. And how that all these drug dealers are going to be giving kids rainbow fentanyl for Halloween. A... There's no such thing as rainbow fentanyl. There's different colors fentanyl because the dealers have a different color to, to differentiate their fentanyl from the Ricky's right. fentanyl. And <laughs> nobody – why would you hook kids on fentanyl? They don't have any I know, money. I, know. I mean, it's just stupid. It's like it's making these drug dealers into these cartoonish villains. Of course. Well, it's they just, have to be. That's the, it's so irresponsible. It's just so irresponsible. So please don't worry your kids are probably going to – you have a better chance of getting razor blades and apples than you do to get rainbow fentanyl. If anybody gives you candy that's not pre-wrapped, just don't eat it. Yeah, and if it looks like fentanyl or a <laughs> pill, it's not candy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're not if you're not keeping good track of your kid's candy in the first place, then there's bigger problems. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was Jim's sigh corner. <laughs> oh, God, I just can't anymore. The film was followed by several sequels, including Child's Play 2 in 1990, Child's Play 3 in 1991, Bride of Chucky in 1998, Seed of Chucky in 2004, Curse of Chucky in 2013, and Cult of Chucky in 2017. They actually did a reboot of the franchise. It was announced by MGM to be in development beginning in July 2018. Lars Klevberg served as director from a script by Tyler Burton Smith. The adaptation featured a group of kids who came in contact with a modern-day high-tech version of the Good Guys doll. The film starred Gabriel Bateman as Andy Barkley and Aubrey Plaza as his mother, Karen. Yeah, it was good. I saw it. It was fine. I I didn't see it. It was It was was released in June of 2019. It it was okay. I mean, like for a remake, it was okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it was was good. Uh, Aubrey Plaza was great. Child's Play. I love Child's Play, but it's not the... It's not precious to me. Like, right, right. Honestly, the stuff that they've done, like Child's Play, is great on its own. 
But I love the show. I think the show is yeah. so much better than the movies. Yeah, and the show started in 2021, and the new season just started like a week ago. Yeah, I think it's on USA. And... Uh, you can watch it on Peacock. It'll, they air it the next day on Peacock. Right, right. But it's, no, it's on Sci-Fi. It's on oh, sci-fi. is it on Sci-Fi? Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. even more sense. Um, but yeah, I watched that. I, I burned through the first season of that, really enjoyed it, and mm-hmm. they brought everybody back. Nice. Everybody who... Nice. You know, survived <laughs> the movies, right, right? You know, and they weaved everybody in in a really interesting way. It's it wasn't like the Star Wars Episode Seven where it was just fan service, sure, and kind sure. of repeating the success of yeah, the first yeah. movie. They they built upon all of the stuff That's cool. to make a really cool, nice uh, series that. That I re- I'm really excited for the second series. Like, it's one of the coolest offshoots of one of these things that okay. I've seen that okay. I really enjoy. Like, I remember watching it, – it's it's completely different from the movie, <laughs> but there was the Friday the 13th series. Right, right. Which had nothing to do no, with no. that. It was basically people searching for cursed objects. It was an anthology show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was well, weird. It, But it was about – yeah, I mean – It was weird, yeah. You know, it had a through line of these people that were looking for right, these objects, right. and the objects were the thing. But, uh, again – I Nothing can't count it, it yeah. as a, an offshoot, but this is really good. And and uh, I think more so than a lot of these other films, the Chucky milieu, if you will, sure. has a lot more possibilities in it because it's a doll. Right. You right. know, so if you want, you could have another killer inside the doll or right, whatever, right, which they do, right. you know, because they, they have the bride of Chucky. She becomes a doll. Yeah. yeah. You know, Jennifer Tilly, who's great and great in the series. <laughs> um, it's just so much fun. I, the reason why I think I like the Child's Play movies, you know, as a, as a whole, kind of better than maybe like the Hellraiser movies mm-hmm. as a whole or all of the Friday the 13th movies, is I think that there's more fun yeah. In the Chucky movies, they're yeah. a little bit more silly. Yeah. And uh yeah, they don't yeah. take themselves as seriously. There's, there's enough of that humor. And in the in the obviously the producers knew this, which is why, you know, they changed out Jessica Walter and had Brad Dourif do it and like it, and it they knew, you know, knew going into it that they were it was gonna need this kind of humor. And and Brad Dourif is a great villain. And oh, he does a so great fantastic. job as Chucky because he's a little bit Jack Nicholson and he's a little bit whatever. So insane. Yeah. He's so good. And he has a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And yeah. it's a fun character. Like I I am – when I was a kid, I was terrified of dolls coming to life. I just oh, didn't, yeah. you know. Well, uh, God, you watched all of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My sister and I both. I don't know why. I think we were attacked by a doll. But it's just something about these doll movies – get to me and i i just really the for some reason the chucky movies kind of have a place yeah. in my heart more so than you know i would probably say it goes uh freddy and then yeah. chucky cuz i nightmare on elm street is probably my favorite of all these i it's it's so funny we're doing this month this way because all of these movies I've not seen in a long time. Yeah. I, I like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but I they just didn't grab me like like some me. of the others have. Like Friday Thirteenth I loved. Like that was one yeah. that always you know, even the really bad movies. But but Child's Play was one of those that I was young enough, probably too young to be watching yeah. it, but young enough to be able to identify with Andy and and while I wasn't obsessed with dolls at that point, it was like it had such an imprint and and watching it again was so good. Yeah. Like it was, yeah. Oh, it was so much fun. But I think for me, like my – I love like Halloween and yeah. I love Nightmare on Elm Street. I love Halloween and I love Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And the Scream movies do this yes. as well. Yes. It's, I love movies about a group of kids that are going through something together. Right. And they're trying to figure this out. Nobody's really believing right. them. Right, You know, I, I like the whole kind of – that that uh, group dynamic right, of right. oh we're screwed you right, know who's right. going to live and and that that to me is just it's like Stephen King does that really well yeah, yeah. you know I love getting a group of people that you fall in love with and then killing them off one by one <laughs> and which we're going to do next week but yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, if you can, uh, unfortunately, Child's Play is not available on streaming anywhere because it's owned by MGM, no. and they apparently don't allow their movies to be on streaming services. Bummer. Uh, but you can purchase it. I, I got it on Blu-ray through Amazon, super cheap. Uh, it's a, it's definitely for your collection if you're a horror fan. Yeah. If you don't have it in there already, put uh, it in because it's a lot of fun. 
all of the sequels, and I want to say I think even the the MGM remake is on Peacock, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think so. But all of the sequels are there and the show. Um, so sit down, have a marathon. Like, yeah. dude, get get the Blu-ray, watch it, and then do the marathon. I, I'm going to watch – I don't think I've even seen the last three movies, so, like – I, I need to sit down and watch them. I'm excited to go through them again. Yeah, it's a fun series. It There's dips in quality, but sure. it's a fun series. Sure. And the actual series series that they just came out with is probably the best horror series. Yeah. The most fun horror series that I've that I've seen. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, we'll be back next week. Uh, Going to go into your dreams. Yeah. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Uh, one, two... Freddy's coming for you. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Well, he's coming for everybody. Three, four, better lock the door. It's going to be a fun episode. Five, six, <laughs> going to pick up sticks. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Nightmares. <laughs> Welcome to the Genex Fowls. Yum, yum. Yum, yum. I was ready. Apparently <laughs> you were not. I need another sip of coffee. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, Battlestar Galactica, already in progress.